0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of the guidepost. Tony here. Um, have a, a great guest today from our friends down south. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about redfish because, uh, as we always say on the guidepost, the problems are the same, the fish just look a little different. So, we have Chad DeBose here with us today and he is going to tell us what is going on in the state of georgia with redfish chad how are you doing today sir
1: i'm doing really well man uh, just uh surviving the heat down in georgia right now It's so uh, we got some some hot days around us these days it's uh the, oh man the temperature's i was i was down in
0: I, I was down in charleston uh, a couple days ago and, uh, oh my gosh, wow, it was warm and and the humidity woof uh I'm a boy from the south, and it was still a little sticky for me, um yeah, it's pretty sticky out these days, but for for those who don't know, they just opened up a Buckys on ninety five in South Carolina, and for those who don't know what a Buckys is, I can't begin to explain it to you. It's like a small city um and and when i parked at bucky's and ran and got a brisket sandwich a beef burrito and cotton candy and beaver nuggets and all sorts of stuff for my family um when i got back in the car it was 122 that's what that's what it registered and i was like wow it's only uh it's only june so hmm it's gonna get a little toasty i think this this uh this summer so chad um Let's talk about redfish. You know, let's 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 talk about what you're seeing in Georgia and and we first heard y'all on the Sustainable Angler podcast with uh Rick Crawford and and you were just <laughs> it sounded like we were talking almost um you know when you were telling the story uh about you know what you think are problems with red drum in Georgia and and what you're trying to do to fix the problems. And, and we said, man, we got to get this guy on the podcast. So, so my, so Chad, what is, what is going on in Georgia and, and what are y'all doing to try to address it? Let's, let's dive right in.
1: Yeah, we'll dive right in. Um, so, you know, I grew up in Georgia on the coast. Um, my grandfather was a saltwater charter captain, um, down on the Florida, Georgia border, um, back in the seventies and eighties um grew up fishing the coast <clears throat> grew up on the water here um and uh just to kind of dive right in you know the the thing we're really pushing for right now or that we've we've come to recognize is that uh you know we haven't really um looked at adjusting our redfish um limits um in a very long time you know we we implemented a five fish creel limit back in 1991 um and that has not been adjusted once since then uh, we adjusted the slot limit in 2001, um, and that has not been adjusted since then, um, but we've had a huge growth um, along our coastline as far as population um, and people getting on the water. Uh, since, I think, the 1991 creel limit change, there's been a 550% growth of anglers um, fishing those waters um, on the coast. Um, and it's just a it's it's a big number without any kind of regulatory change. Um kind of one thing that's unique about our fishery and our DNR, our Department of Natural Resources and CRD, which is the coastal division of our natural resources, was coastal the um is uh is that they do not have to go through legislature to make regulatory change like a lot of other states do along with their fisheries. Um so we have the ability to make Regulatory change um, without having to jump through a lot of hoops, Um, but we haven't been making that change, and it's something that you know. As soon as I started guiding when I moved back from Montana in two thousand and sixteen, and started fishing um, the coast again, it was something that I was hearing a lot from a lot of uh, guides that have been around for a long time. Um, So I joined the CCA board um, shortly after I moved back, and and kind of had in my mind that that was going to be one of my big goals was to try to help implement some kind of change or acknowledgement um to our redfish as far as you know let's let's keep more of an eye out for them than it seemed like we currently are um so last year i started a you know i got on instagram just being a little frustrated with you know guides taking so many fish and I felt like no one was really like stepping up and saying like, Hey guys, like let's, let's take a look at what we're doing and figure out how we can be doing it better. So I started an Instagram page called the Georgia saltwater angler association. Um, you know, quickly became pretty popular within, you know, our small crew of, of sight fishermen along the Georgia coast, mostly fly fishermen. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of got the ball rolling on that um, brought some folks in um, along the coast Um, from other guides to nonprofit organizers to um, a co-owner of a fly shop down south called On The Fly Outfitters. Um, And I I run the opposite on the coast. I run the local fly shop here in Savannah Rivers England Trading Company. And so we have just developed a website. Um, We have email addresses now. We created a little board. We're working with a lawyer now on becoming an actual nonprofit. Um, so we can be a little bit more effective in what we're trying to do. And the goal right now is just trying, you know, not to say like, Hey, this is, you know, we believe that these are what the numbers should be. And you know, what we say goes, and we're not going to, you know, have any give or whatever. The the big goal right now is just, you know, to, to go to the guys in charge of the CRD and the DNR and say, Hey guys, like we're, you know, we are a group of anglers and guides that have a massive amount of collective experience being on the water over the last several decades and we are seeing a detrimental change to our redfish along the coast we're seeing less numbers on our big flats we're seeing less fish um tailing in the grass flats in the in the uh, spring through the fall and um you know the we look at those fish which are typically your above slot fish um as kind of being the canaries in the coal mine like in our big flats fish schools are disappearing um we're going to start seeing this kind of gap in between our, our young juvenile fish up into our big bull reds. Um, So we're working, trying to work with the CRD and the DNR um, to kind of figure out how we can implement this change. Um, They do seem to have acknowledged us um, and the issues that we're talking about. Um, I don't know if that's directly because of what we've been doing, but Um, They issued a survey that they put into effect in the beginning of the year. It was a random survey with, I think, upwards um, to a couple thousand anglers kind of asking for their opinions. And then they just presented two town hall meetings last week, um, kind of last minute. Um, So some of us weren't able to attend those town hall meetings because we were out of town and we had previous plans. But um, just to kind of state their findings and what they're seeing and, um, you know, they've they gave some good feedback on making sure that we knew that we needed to have a good presence at these town hall meetings and whatnot. Um, and they have a kind of an open, um, survey going until the 24th that we're trying to drive people to now online. And the link is in our Instagram um, profile, Georgia saltwater, um, and trying to get just the kind of word out to let people know like what you want, you know, if they want to see some kind of change happen, now's the time. Um, once that, um, survey closes out on the 24th there will be an open comments period um i think until or starting august is when the board will represent what they think the changes need to be to the DNR um and that's when they will make a decision so we kind of you know we've got a little bit of time but considering how long it's been you know we're trying to you know get the word out i think the DNR does recognize that there's a lot of people out there now that are wanting to see some kind of regulatory change so um i think we will get some change um we're we're willing to you know not i don't want to say compromise because that's not what we're here to do because we're going to keep the fight going no matter what the change is to start um but we do think there is going to be some change um and i think it's going to be good change because any change at this point is good because it's been so long but um you know there's a you know we're we're not going to stop the fight no matter what they decide to do Cause it's not a fight. We're not, we're not trying to fight anyone. We're not trying to argue with anyone. We're trying to say, you know, we are a resource that they should be using more of as far as being guides on the water, fishing consistently, um, fishing all of these areas along the coast and seeing, um, these redfish numbers just not be like what they should be. Um, we have a 90 mile coast, but we hold over a third of the, um, the marshland on the eastern seaboard so you know our fishery should be thriving it should be just so that's rocking. a that's a
0: crazy statistic chad to re- repeat yeah.
1: that again so we have a 90 mile coast we have one of the shortest coastlines especially in the southeast but we host um the most marsh grass um along the eastern seaboard and the one of the main reasons for that in my opinion is that you know a lot of our barrier islands um are still mostly privately owned if they're not still privately owned they were given to the state as a trust by old families that had owned these islands so we have very little development along the georgia coast um which you know should cause this thriving ecosystem um we do have a very large tide swing um being kind of in the bite along the southeastern coast but yeah we have an immense amount of um inshore Thriving ecosystem with marsh um, oysters, um, we do have some freshwater influence from the Ogeechee Altamaha uh, rivers and the Savannah River as well. Um, but when you look at going red fishing on the east coast, Georgia you know as far as a sight fisherman um, and, an, and an avid angler, Georgia's not really the top of the list as far as a redfishery is concerned. you know people fish a lot in South Carolina, North Carolina, even, and then definitely down in Florida. Um, But yet we have one of the smallest coastlines, but yet we have the largest creel limit. Um, Florida is one to two fish, depending on where you are in the state. South Carolina is two fish. North Carolina is one fish. And we have a five fish limit with no boat limit, no guide limit, um, and a 14 to 23 inch slot limit. So. Um, so Chad is know. that
0: a function you know cuz we we deal a lot you know, red drum redfish managed at Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission and we deal a lot with them and you know I was I was trying to dig in a little bit before the podcast to figure out how y'all could have such a high limit when the other states like you said you know North Carolina's one fish South Carolina's 3 but South Carolina supplements their population with some hatcheries um, you know do you do you think that is a function of um the number of anglers that are you know extracting redfish because if that if that number of anglers is lower clearly you can have a higher creel limit you know than a state like North Carolina that just really you know really has popularized the fishery probably gets a lot of tourism from it and kind of works those fish over pretty good have you got any insight into into why that limit was five
1: um i think i mean that was the
0: up until 1991 there was no
1: krill limit on redfish as far as i could tell um, from all the information we've been given um so I, the the five fish limit when it was implemented in 1991 um from everything we've been able to tell, tell there has, there's not a lot of, um, you know, you kind of, we've been saying like, look to your neighboring states because redfish are migratory, you know, they they run offshore, um, you know, we bordering both states. There's, it's hard to say it, that Georgia redfish aren't also going into South Carolina waters and then same thing for Florida waters. So I think there's a little bit of lack of um, working with other states as far as like working together with those borders and those limits, um, I do think that talking to certain people in those bordering states that they would like to see us um, reevaluate our limits to help align ourselves with our bordering states. So I don't, I don't think it has to do with um, a lack of fishing. The Georgia coast is why we have higher numbers. Um, I, I feel like um, personally that. You know, we have managed our fishery as a meat fishery for a very long time. Um, You know, if you look at the size of Georgia compared to the size of our coastline, you know, we attract a lot of people all over the state that are coming just to the coast to go catch a bunch of fish to be able to take back home. Um, Whereas if you look at Florida and South Carolina, I feel like they've done a better job at managing it as a sport fishery um, and kind of acknowledging that like, yeah, we're allowing you to take less fish, but maybe encouraging you to come back and fish more. So you can be able to still keep fish, um, and that's kind of whenever I started this, that was kind of the big the big pushback I got at first was a lot of anglers saying like, oh man, I only get to fish once a year, and now you're telling me that I when I come to the coast, I'm going to able to keep less fish, and you know if we're only fishing to keep as many fish as possible, I mean we can't treat our fishery like it's got an infinite source of of of, of food because it, it just You know, that's all we hear these days is that is not the reality. You know, everything has a has a a a depletion depletion that can be um, met. I guess Um, so. The I guess my thought there is, you know, with the five fish limit for a long time, it's just been if it's not broke, don't fix it. And there weren't enough people coming forward to say that it was broken, Um, and there weren't enough people with the right avenues and abilities and just wherewithal to you know organize um and come together and i'm on more of a grassroots level to say hey guys like instead of just going to dnr and screaming at them and getting mad and kind of being pushed aside because you just seem like an unreasonable person like this is our effort to come to them in a very reasonable manner and saying hey guys like there's a reason that south carolina just dropped the redfish limit from three to two there's a reason north carolina has a one redfish limit. There's a reason Florida is continually um, doing regulatory change. And, you know, I know one of the the fault, the drawbacks to them doing regulatory change in Georgia is that if they do a big change, and it does cause a big uproar, then they might possibly lose that ability to do the change without having to go through legislature. Um, But to say that you're not going to do that because you're scared doing it is going to get you in trouble just it, it seems like a lack of, of 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 effort um
0: it's like that uh it's like that push me pull me thing in dr Seuss, right how did it yeah. ever get anywhere yeah. um you know you have it they gave it to you for a reason you should probably consider using it i mean i you know just listening to your chat i i sincerely applaud you and all the other advocates who really saw a problem and just said, you know what, if, if not us, who, you know, if, if we don't do this, who's going to do it. And I wish we saw that more. Yeah. And I'm glad you're here. You know, I'm glad you're here on the podcast telling your story, you know, uh, and, and the the thing that I really love that you said is like, you know, we, we ain't giving up, you know, if it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work this time, we're still going to be here and we will still keep gaining momentum and, and, you know, uh, this is this is what we feel what's best for the fishery and i think that man that message resonated with me um you know that's all that i have to say about that I, it just you know you 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 look at these things and 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 it doesn't smell right and it doesn't feel right and uh and and you kind of like well why is this the way it is and and then it dawns on you well it's this way because maybe nobody's been effective at trying to change it so maybe it's our turn to give it a shot so you know yeah, big clap big clap to all of you guys for cuz it's not easy right it's not easy and i think the big thing is
1: for a long time guys like me and the guys i'm working with and gals i'm working with they were kind of looked at as kind of like pitchforks and torches you know coming at DNR with all of this information screaming and saying you know why aren't you all doing anything and all that and we're not trying to fight anybody. We're trying to work with them. We're trying to figure out, okay, what can we do? How can we provide you guys with the right information, the right opinions? Um, and, you know, and, and I think it's working. I mean, uh, you know, there are a lot of people on the board are are, are on the, for DNR, are, are applauding us for what we're doing and helping us out. And, um, you know, I think the DNR is acknowledging that, you know, something needs to happen and um, we're looking at that and, you know, they were, they implemented a, a years ago a, what they call the FinFish Advisory Panel. And it cons- And I'm reading from a page right now, but it, it consists of recreational and commercial fishermen in Georgia who are tasked with providing input and advice to the Georgia Department of Natural Resources Coastal Resources Division, which is the CRD, regarding management and specific marine fisheries. So they filed a report in October 28th of 2021, essentially um, acknowledging what we're talking about right now. And advising that it's time. Um, they wrote in the report the FAP believes that while the redfish issues of Georgia are not yet dire, they could be soon. In this regard, we believe that in the old saying, an ounce of a prevention is worth a pound of cure. So, according to the FAP, as a collective, they recommend a reduction in redfish creel limit from five fish per day. And then they state what the other fish's creel limits are um they talk a little bit about slot change um and stuff like that so the big thing we're pushing for right now is you know we want to go we want to see it go from five fish to two or three fish we want to see a a guide limit put in we want to see um a boat limit put in we want to see potentially um a lower and slot raised from 14 fish to higher you know 16 would be great but we know we're not going to get all that on the first go i mean this is the first time this has happened ever. But those are kind of, you know, people in the beginning, when we started putting this together, we knew if we got a bunch of people that want to change together in the same room, we knew you're going to have 20 different opinions on what could be it, whether it's more law enforcement officers on the water, less trawling in the sounds during shrimp season, um, screwing up our, our, um, our red drum returning, our bull reds returning. And then obviously, like all the changes that I just talked about. So our big message hasn't been so much like very specific like this is what we want and everyone should be on board with that because we know we're going to exclude certain people that might agree with what they're saying but not the specifics of it so our big push at first and still is getting everyone to at least acknowledge that there is a problem and how we can work together to get a solution that being said you know people are now asking like well what do you want to see change because just saying change is a, a pretty broad spectrum so we're kind of advising people like if you're not sure on the issue and you need some guidance like Looking to our bordering states and seeing what they're doing, you know, South Carolina has a six fish boat limit with no 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 guide limit. They run a two fish limit. We also know that asking for exactly that could be a little too extreme for some people that are maybe on the fence. So, like a two to three fish limit seems very more fair. A six to eight uh, fish boat limit seems a little more fair with reason reasonality to it. So the idea is that we're not saying that you know we're not the scientists. We're just out on the water every day looking at what these fish are doing. And these are the suggestions that we think would affect the fishery the most and be the most helpful. So if we can at least get people on board with what we think could work, we can work with that and then keep working on it, keep working on it. And let's get the, you know, maybe we're just going to do three fish for now. Great. That's a huge win. That's two less fish. Um, if it's a eight fish boat limit, that's great. Um, I've heard rumblings of a 10 fish boat limit. I still think that's too many fish per boat. Um, but like I said, it's still a win over no boat limit um so i mean we're we're going to take our victories but we're not going to give up with our victories because that's not what we're here to do we're here to protect this
0: fishery and see that it's here for multiple generations chad one of the one of the things that we've worked really hard on at the guides association is to try to get managers to understand that there is monetary value uh in in released fish one two that what drives the overall fishing economy isn't how many fish you can kill it's what the angler opportunity is because okay for example what i mean by that is if you know let's say you guys win 75 percent of what you want through this and you see over the course of the next decade, um you know the redfish population come back explode, and your your sports you know your clients can now expect to have fifty shots a day uh sight fishing for redfish. You would probably be booked pretty. Booked, booked up for the year pretty fast right if word got out that it was that good people would want to go fishing is that more than they do now is that a correct assessment because you know we we just simply say abundance drives the economy better business through conservation right Yep. for um, sure the more fish that are in the water the more people want to go fishing and it's it's not relative. That driver is not relative to how many you can put in a cooler. It's it's kind of the overall experience of the day. and I, And sure. I guess that's what your clients are looking for.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, as a sight fishing guide and a catch and release redfish guide, you know, I want to caveat what you just said with making sure that people understand that we're not doing any of this to make sure we book more trips. I said in the sustainable angler podcast, if the solution was for me to quit fishing, I would, but I'm a catch and release fisherman. So I I know I'm not affecting the fishery um, in that sense. But when I take clients out, they are happier catching one fish and seeing 50 than they are catching five fish and seeing five fish. So if they have the opportunity to see massive schools of fish, um, to get on a flood tide flat and see, bunches of flood tide fish tailing on the water. Um, and even if they're catching less fish, they're still going to have a better experience because I got it in Montana. I've got it in Patagonia. It it, it has very little to do with like what you said, putting fish in the boat and more to do with the actual experience. Anyone can guide when the fishing's good. It's when the fishing's bad is where you really determine who's a good fishing guide because it's all about the experience. It's all about the time spent so with people on the water. So if you can show them a good, healthy fishery, whether they catch fish or not, that's all they care about, um, in, in my mind. And so I think that's like what you said, it's, it's trying to get to the point where we're managing this fishery as a sport fishery, not a fill the cooler fishery. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're making really good steps to get there. I mean, you know, we've, like I said, I started this a year ago and it's, it's been a snowball effect over the last few months. You know, we've been on several podcasts now and we've got a couple articles written, um, and it's just keep going and going. They're doing town halls now. Um, this DNR is gonna meet in August to make a ruling on what the change is gonna be. And we we know that there's gonna be some kind of change. Um, and you know, right now what I'm working on too with the Georgia Saltwater Angler Association is, you know, we didn't see the need to have an actual um guide. Association in Georgia, so we're working on a pledge for guides through our Georgia Saltwater Angler Association. But we're also working on a pledge for fly shops. We want to have a Georgia Fly Shop Alliance. We want to have a Georgia Saltwater Guides Alliance through the Georgia Saltwater Angler Association. And you know, it's not going to be like, oh, if I'm a guide on the Georgia Saltwater, I'm only going to keep these fish because it's going to, like I said, it's going to exclude certain guides from want to do it. But if the if the, the advocacy there is that every guide getting a customer on his boat, if they're at least having that conversation with their customers about, you know, yeah, our our limits are this right now, but if, you know, if you really want to be a a sustainable angler, um, this is what we suggest, like take enough home to eat for dinner tonight. You know, two redfish fillets will feed three or four people on, on the larger end of the slot. Um, You know, let's, let's take home what you're going to be able to eat. And all the time. No one wants a frozen redfish fillet. Frozen fish is awful. It's supposed to be real. Um, and at the end of the year, typically, you're throwing it all out because it's freezer burn. Um, so let's, you know, come back and fish more. And if people are taking less fish and if they're really coming here just to keep fish and eat it, if we lower the limit, we're going to drive that economy because they're going to want to come back more to fish to be able to keep more fish as opposed to going, oh, I've got my limit for the, you know, for the spring. So I'm only going to come down and fish one time where if they know they if they're still that, that meat fishermen, they're going to have to come back more, which is more money to the coast, more money to DNR. And, you know, that that, along with like kind of talking about like whatever they rule in, um, in August, you know, even if we get hundred percent of the win, it's not that we're going to, we're not going to stop fighting, but the fight is going to change to go, okay, guys, you guys are hearing us now. So now we're going to use all of our energy to drive more money. DNR, you need more money to run more studies and learn more about these over fish. Then let's let's get a campaign going and let's help you guys get more money. Um let's work together and figure out what we need to do. Let's have a cooperative tag, tagging program on overslot fish. Um, you know, it's that's there's a you know, not to sound too cliche, the world is our oyster as far as like what we can and can't do as long as we're all working together.
0: Yeah. Um, don't, you know, you're gonna get some pushback. Ask me how I know. Um you know and and I guess uh, when you do this stuff, my advice is quickly grow a thick skin um because generally speaking, you know people people can you know they uh, they have a tendency they have a tendency to start attacking your character and who you are rather than discussing the issue. Um, maybe that's happened already with you, but you know, I speak, I speak from experience. Um, it's, it's, if it hasn't happened, it's going to happen, you know, because people, what they don't understand or what they don't agree with, there's a certain part of the population that just attacks it. Um, you know, it sounds to me like you guys are working for kind of like a better future for all. Um, and, and really when you look at the way that redfish are managed along the coast, the greatest insurance policy that anyone who fishes for redfish has is that we can't kill the big ones in the Atlantic, you know? And, and if, and if there is a bad spawn, there's a lot of big ones out there and, and hopefully there'll be a good spawn. Uh maybe the conditions will be right the next year or the year after that. But they mature so quickly, you know, in a comparison with striped bass, you know, our our, our stripe bass, a hundred percent of them, and this is look, I mean, we're I'm sure one or two stay. I don't want to, you know, split hairs here. I don't have enough to spare. Um, but you know, uh, by about eight years old, they're all gone from the estuaries, and they they go out into the ocean and and join the coastal stock um It can happen uh from what I understand as soon as three years um where they just get out of dodge and and start becoming an ocean fish now, Redfish at three years are like almost to twenty eight inches right chad uh I mean they grow super yes. fast. It changes, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so you're you're talking about you have two bad spawns in a row. Y'all don't have a lot of fish in the estuary.
1: Yeah, and you know, and if you look at the numbers and the graphs and everything, and we have all this on our website, GeorgiaSaltwater.org. You know, there is a cyclical, what they call a cyclical change in the fishery. The you know, last year we had a forty percent return. This year we had a hundred percent. Or two thousand twenty, we had a forty percent return on red stock. Um, last year, we had 100% return. So it does go back and forth. But if you look at that graph over time, it's not going up. Um, and, you know, it like, in that finfish advisory panel report, you know, they said it it might not be dire at this time, it is going to be so you know, the ounce of permission, uh, prevention is a pound of cure. So um, you know, what what we worry about seeing is okay. Well, we're not. We don't have a lot of science on our overslot fish, and since our big bull reds live so long, as they start dying off, are we going to see kind of a generation gap in between those fish that haven't made it out of the slot and never made it to be bull big bull reds, and then all of a sudden those returning numbers are going to get less and less and less over years until they just finally depleted, and then we're in a huge state of emergency, um, and so. Um, yeah it's kind of where I am with that
0: no, yeah it's th- there's so many similarities um so many similarities to stripe ash right uh very much very much so and except i mean uh, one one of the stark differences and I, we talked about this before is that i i think uh i think a twenty two inch redfish could pull a twenty eight inch striper backwards until it died. um they're just so strong you know it's it's unbelievable as a as kind of a diehard striper fisherman i'm always amazed when i catch when i catch a redfish um you know how hard those little suckers can pull and i and i think the other difference with the redfish is man they're tough
1: yeah they're a tough fish they kind of they, they are tough and i and i think it's it's they're so tough that it's actually been a hindrance to them because they've you know they do rebound they can rebound and i think that's why we haven't seen the change because they're such a t- i mean they're a fish you can drop on the deck of the boat kick flip upside down fight forever and they'll still you know you think they don't have anything left in them you put them back in the water release them and they slap you in the face of the tail as they swim off with all the fury in the world um
0: but I we've feel all like- seen the pictures of like somebody caught a red drum without a tail like yeah. a shark a shark bit its tail off one eye, and you're like, "How in the world? world? You yeah. know how? How did you? Good lord! Like, how do you? How did you make it? How did you get away from the shark after he bit you? That's that's one yeah, question I'd with, like to know. We find them with talon marks in them all the time,
1: bites taken out of them, one eye, um broken backs. um You know, fish that you know gouges like you know, literally half of their heads gone, and they're just. I mean, they're still eating, eating. It's insane. Um, they're very Resilient fish, um, but just because they're that resilient doesn't mean that we don't need to keep an eye out on them and 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 make sure that they're 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 healthy and
0: and and thriving. Oh, I mean, uh, 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 hey, a hundred percent. Oh my gosh, like I wasn't saying, but what I was, it's the perfect candidate for catch and release, you know, because you when we catch and release stripers, we have to be very conscious of how much salinity is in the water what the air temperature is what the what the water temperature is um the biological structure of a striped bass if they swallow bait you know a hook with bait and it goes down their throat statistically speaking it's going to go into a vital organ um and if you look at like a redfish the depth of their mouth you know the 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 surface area their mouth is so much larger than a striped bass right their their throat is set a lot further back maybe it's because of the crushers or whatever um and and you know organs are a little bit different but with a j hook in particular for striped bass if they swallow it uh it's probably going into their heart or their liver and that's that's based on science, um, a lot of circle hook studies out there for stripers. And I think the interesting thing, you know, with stripers too, that, that kind of lead to a little bit, you know, have, having us to be more careful with them when we catch and release them, is that when they're smaller fish, they're in big schools, big schools. And they have that competitive, you know, if you throw bait out there for them, you could have 20 stripers rushing towards the bait, right? And little guys. And they'll they they fight over it and just inhale it so fast. You know, whereas that whereas a redfish, um, you know, that mouth is has a little bit different of an orientation. You don't generally see, you know, acres of 20-inch redfish breaking on the surface, right? like, like we would have on like the fall, you know, all those videos that people see about stripers feeding on the surface, the fall run, all that kind of good stuff, you know, catching them under birds. Um, that's, that's not something you generally see with, uh, with redfish either. So with the similarities, my only point in saying that they were tough is I'm just amazed, man. When I, when I go visit my parents in Charleston, and, and we're steady catching redfish, you know, just holding the fish. You can just tell it's a, it's a formidable animal. You know, I mean, just it's, it's head is like a coconut. Like, I mean, they're, they're tough. um, And, and well, probably a, 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 an ideal candidate for a catch and release fish. And I'm not saying people can't eat them. Uh, last time I was in South Carolina, uh, we we kept a couple. I made them for my dad, who hails from Louisiana, and uh, we all know folks from Louisiana, you know, bring me a fish kind of guy, and uh, and I take a lot of pride in cooking, you know, cooking up some some redfish from a pop. And, uh, and so you know, I am I am not without sin. I have killed, and I will probably continue killing, but just. You know, just holding them and having them not be an everyday fish for me, it's kind of hard when I look at them because it's just there's something special about them, man. I don't know what it is. I, don't, I haven't, I can't put my finger on it, but they're just a badass fish. I mean, I'll admit it. If I had a choice between redfish and stripers, I'd be catching a lot of redfish um, where I live. I don't know how much I'd fish for stripers because they're, they're a badass fish, man. The ways that you can catch them you know like what you do sight fishing for them um you know the 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 big ones the little ones how their behavior changes how strong they are i love that's that was my whole point in saying that i just think they're cool um not something i get to see every day
1: yeah they have a huge range you can find them all the way from mexico up to you know northern parts of virginia um it's 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 kind of wild um you know, they're they're everywhere. They're kind of looked as like the gateway drug. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Chad, here's a tidbit, here's a fun tidbit of information. If you go back and look at uh commercial fishing records from New York Harbor um in the late eighteen hundreds, you will see listed uh channel bass, which is what they called redfish. Um in Ocean City, Maryland, uh maybe two summers ago the number one fish that was caught in the uh in Ocean City inlet in the fall was a redfish um and my friends are catching them with regularity in the creeks and marshes in southern New Jersey so if you look at the guys like especially the surf fishermen in New Jersey who are on Island Beach State Park in those areas they're catching they are catching redfish in the summer. Not I mean they're not targeting them. They're fishing for other things, but they're getting them out of the surf and they're getting them in the back of the creeks. Um I've caught them in uh the furthest north I've caught one is wading the beaches in Delaware. Um yeah, they move, buddy. They <laughs> they got they got quite the range. So um you know Chad tell us a little bit about you know for for the listeners who have never fished Georgia um tell us a little about a little bit about a day fishing for a redfish looks like on you, on your boat and and other guides that are like you fish the same way
1: Yeah so you know we we target them sight fishing 99% of the time so we're fishing the kind of the extremes of our tide the highs and the lows And we do have a big tide sequence here along the Georgia coast, especially around Savannah. Um, We get sometimes a tide range from seven and a half. Sometimes in the fall, we get what they call king tides up to 10 plus foot tide changes. Um, And so our fish have to move around a lot, which means we have to move around a lot. And that also means that our charters are, you know, very, very much um, uh, determined by the tides that we have that day. Um, If somebody calls me to book a charter on the 24th of July, I can't just say, yeah, man, let's do it. Um, I need to make sure that we're going to have a successful tide that day to be able to find fish um, because if the right time to fish that day on that tide is in the afternoon, you know, I've got to then calculate, okay, well, is are we going to have good enough wind conditions to sight fish in the afternoon um, and stuff like that. So, you know, we we've definitely lived by the tides um, here in Savannah. Um, you know, we've, a lot of us sight fishermen fish are, are fishing out of, traditional flat style skiffs, um, pulling around, um, very little trolling motor work. Typically, um, you're pulling in, you know, big mud flats or, um, in the, in spring through fall, we get flood tide, uh, flats, which are really cool. It's, you know, essentially the water gets high enough to get into the marsh grass. Um, and you can find some good hard bottom marsh grass flats that look like somebody's backyard flooded in grass. And those fish will get up there and feed on fiddler crabs, snails, shrimp. Um, small bait fish and whatnot on the flat so it's a really cool um, thing that not all redfish do Um, they say about 30% of redfish actually will tail in the grass and you know I get a lot of guys that have never caught tailing redfish and they're like what am I looking for and you don't really understand it until you actually see it because those fish literally and you know sometimes less than a foot of water start rooting around with their mouth in the mud and the grass and their tails will flop out of the water I mean and imagine you know a hungry bear eating huckleberries and just digging into them and not a care in the world and that's how these redfish are you can sneak right up to them it's a really cool thing to see them do because they're um, for for being a fish that you know they're, they're very protective of themselves and they can be very um, good at hiding um, they really expose themselves and they just kind of become a, a kid in a candy shop on these flats sometimes so you get to see some really cool behavior these big tails popping out of the water with a big old black spot on them just flopping around in the air um and uh it's just a really cool thing to be able to witness um and then you know low tide flats we can catch them in you know big schools of 30 to you know sometimes 100 fish uh depending on where you're fishing um we're seeing a lot less of those big schools these days and that's one of the things we're fighting for um and then also we can get in creeks um on low incoming tides and find these schools of fish trap back in these creeks and it's really cool because they just work these creeks that's usually where you can get some of the best top water action Throwing big top water gurglers and watching a red fish eat top water is really cool because they are a bottom feeder so they have to put a lot of their body out of the water to be able to eat top water so you get some really cool takes and reactions and you know you're maybe getting a 40 to 50 percent hookup rate on top water but like i said the The eat is just as exciting as landing the fish at that point, getting this these fish to move and do these things that they're going to do um It's just a unique fishery um you know there's a redfish film that a guide out of North Carolina did a years ago called redfish can't jump and you know the the joke with that is they are one of the perfect game fish out there, and the one thing they just don't do is jump every now and then you'll see one pop out of the water when they get too excited, but um you know everything they do besides not jumping is it makes them the perfect species to fish for they they can be very forgiving but they can also be very difficult to catch and find sometimes um so they're a great fish for people wanting to get into the sport of saltwater fly fishing which is you know especially compared to freshwater fly fishing it's very intimidating you know you typically have to have a boat um it's not like you can go wait a stream on the blackfoot river in montana and go happen upon a couple fish like. You, you very intentionally have to try to find these fish, no matter where you are, um, and uh, it makes it challenging, but
0: all that much more rewarding when you actually do catch some. I'll tell you, um, you know, we had uh, we had the seventeen-year cicada hatch last year, and if you if you want to be driven to drink heavily, tie up a cicada fly and try to sight fish for carp because they're the worst thing I've ever come across for eating anything top water. And uh I don't even know how they eat. Like I don't even know why they try. They just kind of roll into it and and I I bring that up because of the orientation of a redfish's mouth. And like you said the hookup ratios are low, but by god is it exciting to see them do it. You know, like <laughs> you have to go into it. Just knowing that, you know, you're not going to hook every fish that rolls on that fly, right? It's. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So what, you know. We have a lot of listeners from all over the country. What can people do to help your cause, Chad?
1: Um, I think. You know, big thing is if you want to be involved and learn more about it, you know, you can email us at us at georgiasaltwater.org, and we can get you on our mailing list. Um, if you're a Georgia resident, um, going to our Instagram, um, following the link to the DNR website, filling out that um, survey on what you think you would like to see happen to our fishery, um, and just, you know, follow us on Instagram. We have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter account, which I don't actually have a Twitter, but uh, Jared, who is the vice president. Um, of the George saltwater English association has that set up um, and just help share our story. Like it's, like I said, we're not, we're not trying to convince anyone um, that what we're saying is the right thing to say. We're just convincing people to sit down and have a conversation with us, um, come together, work together, get our voices heard. Um, you know, there from when I started guiding back here after I came back from Montana four years ago, there's, you know, there was, maybe 20 flat skiffs in savannah there's probably three times that many now um you know they're not all fishing all the time but you know what i would like to see is these new anglers and guides coming out that are you know i had a older guy that's been flood tide fishing for a couple of decades say that you know all these new guys are guys coming out and fishing now they're you know they're kind of okay with catching and seeing a couple of redfish on a flood tide they don't know how good it used to be um but i think these guys that are now coming out these you know, when I, I do a redfish tournament in the fall called the Savannah Fly Invitational, it's a catch and release only, it's the only saltwater red uh, uh, saltwater fly fishing tournament on the Georgia coast. Um, but I, I kind of get up on a soapbox every time I do a captain's meeting, and you know, everyone that is a sight fishing, fly fisherman, bait fisherman, whatever, um, getting into this sport, you know, they it is our duty as these younger anglers to be advocates for these fish, not relying on the guys that have been doing it for 30, 40 years to be the advocates. It's time for those guys to be able to take a breather and sit back and let us do what they've been working so hard for doing for years to come. Um, and so, you know, just be active, be responsible. And, you know, if, and if you're in another state and you, you understand what I'm saying, but you are not uh, know how to do what I'm doing, it's easy. Start an Instagram page. Social media is incredibly powerful. Um, It's the reason we're talking right now. Um, You know, use your resources you have. Talk to people. um, Talk to your legislatures. um, Talk to your local DNR officers. But also, they're not the enemy either. You know, if you see them at the boat ramps, like, they're doing their job just like all of us are trying to do. Um, I have nothing but deep respect for all of them. Um, So I think, you know, the biggest call to action here is just try to do your best to be a responsible angler and understand that, you know, as a guide, you're reaping a benefit off a of public resource as an angler, you want your kids to be able to come back and enjoy this resource, and it's not a resource that has an infinite amount of supply um right now, it seems like the demand is a lot higher than the supply, and you know the only way to make that change is for them to hear our voices so the big thing for us is just letting people know like we're here, um we're here to help, we're here to be heard um and you know that's that's it
0: well i'll tell you what man um like i started the show out with i think uh i think we all have the same problems the fish just look look a little bit different and um and you know I, i i think also because you know you have a fish so here's the similarities of striped bass it's never just a state issue right because there may be juveniles in one state at a certain time there may then they may there may be adults um you know the fish have fins they have massive ranges um they're they're opportunists so they're going to take advantage of you know whatever that they can Um, be it, you know, a, a bumper crop of, uh, crab recruitment one year, maybe there's a lot of shrimp the next year. Um, and you know, as guides, you have to, you have to look at these things and say, do I invest in a new motor or are there going to be enough fish around next year? for me to be able to pay this thing off and and it's hard for us to make business decisions when the fisheries aren't consistent and and i think that's the message that we try to get through to everyone is we're we're not particularly at the guides association trying to pick winners and losers um we'd kind of like it if everybody could win you know when there's a lot of fish everybody does win um and i and i'm hearing i'm hearing the same message from you guys you know we don't don't want to take anything away from anyone but we sure as heck want to le- leave a good resource for the next generation right um
1: yeah yeah i mean we all want to we all want to leave a legacy you know whatever that legacy may be whether it's you know for your kids or your grandkids or for your community or whatever it may be and um you know the the redfish is the state fish of georgia we should care more about that fish than any other state because no other state has that as their state fish. So, you know, we, we should be the stewards of the redfish, the state of Georgia Um, there. When I was guiding in Montana, the bull trout is a very protected fish, but also a a very um, endangered fish in the state of Montana. And I had a bumper sticker forever that said, if the bull trout are lost, smash the state, I've been wanting to do a fun sticker like that for redfish in Georgia, because if it's our state fish and they're that hurt, then, what are we doing? Um, and that's kind of the sentiment is like, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta act like that's our, our only option is to save these fish. Otherwise, you know, smash the state. Um, you know, not that extreme obviously, but, um, you know, it's, I think it was,
0: I think that was Robert Travers. Um, if trouder lost smash the state,
1: Yes, actually, no, it wasn't a bull trout sticker. It was a trout sticker from Colorado. That's what it was. Yeah. yeah it was
0: like the Travers, if or lost, smash the state. Yeah. That guy had some of the best quotes. I strongly, he is not a sponsor of this podcast, but I strongly recommend everyone picking up uh, some, you know, Trout Madness. I think the quote was from Trout Madness, his book. Um, but holy mackerel, what a what a what a writer he was. Um, you know, there was another one, there was another quote, that I think transcends trout and goes to all all fly fishing. And it was, um, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was, you know, fish aren't impressed with money or power. They only respond to what was it, quietude and humility, and endless patience. And and that, our our chairman loves to say all men, all people are equal in front of the fish, right? Yeah. Um, They don't, they don't care if you're worth a million dollars or $10. Um, I've seen plenty of very wealthy doctors go
1: absolutely mad trying to catch fish.
0: (laughs) Videotape that and give it to me next time I need to I need I need some comfort in my life. So I'll tell you what chad let's give us the website the instagram everything one more time because i think you'll probably get a little bit of help hopefully from this podcast so let's let the listeners one more time see your uh and we'll we'll put it up in the description as well but best best website best instagram for you guys yeah so
1: website is georgiasaltwater.org it just went live a couple of weeks ago our instagram is georgiasaltwater our twitter is georgiasaltwater our facebook page is Um, If you want a sticker, um, we have stickers in our two fly shops, Rivers and Glen Trading Company in Savannah, Georgia, and On the Fly Outfitters down in Brunswick, Georgia. Um, I'm the president of the Georgia Saltwater Anglers Association. You can come find me in Rivers and Glen. Uh, Jared's the vice president. He runs is a co owner of On the Fly Outfitters down in Brunswick. Um, Come in, chat with us. We're happy to help and talk about anything. Both fly shops are deeply rooted in conservation efforts. Um, and then email us, uh, join us at georgiasaltwater.org. Uh, if you have any questions for me particularly, it's chat at georgiasaltwater.org or Jared at georgiasaltwater.org. Um, but if you wanna be in, in involved, um, email us, we can get you on our mailing list. Uh, we're trying to get a couple emails out a month, just kind of letting people know where we are. Um, we're working with a lawyer right now and become an actual nonprofit, so it's easier to start funneling money. Um, to start building this um, organization and uh, getting our reach out there more and more.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, Chad, we can't thank you enough for being on the podcast, sharing what you know, and, and uh, y'all's efforts to preserve uh, what sounds to me like a pretty, a pretty interesting uh, redfish fishery down there. So we're going to thank Chad one last time for being on here let's give them some help to conserve this awesome species and this awesome fishery. And we'll see you on here real soon.